Welcome to HR Insights, the podcast, topical discussions with and for our global HR community. Hi, and welcome back to HR Insights, the podcast with your host, Emily Ramji. This week, I'm honoured to be chatting to Paul Anderson-Walsh, co-founder and CEO at the Centre for Inclusive Leadership. At the Centre for Inclusive Leadership, Paul's core vision is to elevate the human experience in the workplace. His core mission is to end workplace inequality by enabling people to be their best selves and to do their best work. Outside of work, Paul is an author, broadcaster and grandfather. Paul, welcome. It's great to have you as a guest on my podcast this week. Thank you for joining me. Not at all. Thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be part of it. So to kick things off, I'm going to ask you a few quick fire questions so we can get to know you a little. The best thing about lockdown um I suppose only having to get half dressed to go to work (laughs) and conversely what's the worst (laughs) thing about lockdown um having no excuse to go shopping no actually probably probably the answer to that is a kind of endless zoom loop where you just seem to be going where in the old days you were going from meeting to meeting with breaks in between now you're in just some relentless uh, kind of hamster wheel of, of online calls which is extraordinary I've got an image of us just, yeah, circling between Zoom, but you're so right. Paul, what was the um, one thing on your bucket list? Do you know, I think going away at the moment is the big thing. And I think uh, being able to take the children and the grandchildren to holiday in Maui, that would be my bucket list thing to do, I think. That's cool. And finally, what do you see as the biggest trend um, of, uh, sorry, the biggest HR trend of 2021? That's a good question. I I think inevitably it's going to be about reimagining the employee experience, because I think when we mid and then post COVID, what the employee experience is going to look like and going to need to look like, I think it's going to be very, very interesting indeed. Mm, Thank you. Our podcast today will take a deeper dive into the topic of inclusion, and we're fortunate to be able to learn from a true thought leader within this field. After speaking in an earlier episode of this podcast with Sasha Scott on her thoughts on inclusion and diversity trends for 2021, it's clear that creating an inclusive culture is of paramount importance, not only for talent attraction, retention, performance and well-being, but also for commercial performance and viability. At the Centre for Inclusive Leadership, Paul and his team have created a proprietary model called HEARS to help organisations practically apply inclusion in the workplace. Paul, as an expert within this field, to kick us off, how do you define inclusion? Well, that's a great question, actually, because I think the best way to define inclusion is to firstly separate it from a word that it's become confused with. Um, Emily, I think a lot of people don't necessarily recognise the difference between diversity and inclusion. So diversity simply means different. So what does that mean? It means that we're all individuals. To be an individual is to be unique and to be unique is to be diverse. And that's important because it means if you've got two middle-class, middle-aged white men, they're diverse because you've got two of them. So we sometimes forget that. But inclusion's an emotion. And what makes inclusion and its contrasting emotion, exclusion, interesting is it then asks the question, does the difference that I bring Does the fact that I am different, does it make any difference at all? Does it, on the other hand, uh, make me feel I can make a difference? Or does it somehow make me feel invalidatingly 
different. And I think the because inclusion is an emotion, we believe that it is this kind of almost this invisible perception, this implicit perception, if you like, that the environment I'm working in and the people I'm working with are providing a psychologically safe space, which enables me to thrive. Why? Because I'm included, which means it's meeting this fundamental need in me for belonging, for authenticity, for personal growth, and it affords me the opportunity to make a contribution, a meaningful contribution. So inclusion fundamentally is an emotion, and it's emotion that I think straddles a whole load of things. It means I feel respected. It means I feel valued. It means I feel safe. It means I feel trusted. It means I feel a sense of belonging. It means that I'm able to be my best self, and it means that I'm able to do my best work. So it's a it's a crucial point, and you, you called it out at the beginning of the, the podcast. It's fundamental. Inclusion, bottom line, is an emotion. Thank you. I've not heard it described in that way before. And I think the reason you came up with the HEARS model when we were talking about how to introduce it was around this practical application for organisations to create um, an inclusive workforce. And so hearing you talk about it in that multifaceted way um, is a good segue then into understanding a little bit more about this model, because I think a lot of our listeners will have understood, you know, the importance of inclusion um, and may well have already put some efforts and steps in place. But I'd love to hear more about why you came up with this model and and at a top level what it is so we can hopefully help our listeners understand a little bit more about how to apply it. No, with pleasure. So I think what we were seeing in our practice, Emily, was that there is a kind of great desire amongst um, managers of C-suites and uh, all sorts of different people to go, how do we fix it? They just want to go, tell us how to fix it. And it's complicated because by very nature, inclusion, as I've suggested to you, is an emotion. You have to be able to feel it before you can fix it. But once you've felt it and once you've actually understood, particularly the contrasting emotion between inclusion and exclusion, it's a little bit like saying the only reason you know what something sweet is because you know what bitter is. The only reason why you know what it means to be warm is because you know what it means to be cold. So you have to actually be able to firstly go in place in those situations. And particularly when you're thinking about some of the inequalities we have in our workplaces, particularly around race or gender and these kinds of issues. But then once you recognize that and you're kind of activated, then absolutely we need to say well here's how you do something and the here's model is really designed to be a kind of practical these are things you can do back on the job and you can do them now that will help you so we say that in an inclusive organization everybody hears and that's kind of obviously the the acronym that we're playing with but it's actually an important acronym to 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 understand and it builds i think quite nicely Uh, because the first thing we'd want to say is that in an inclusive organization uh people actually listen they hear one another not only do they hear them one another they listen to themselves and it's that listening to themselves that brings about that recognition because the fact is that assumptions and biases and stereotypes apply to all of us none of us are immune from that Uh, but in an inclusive organization people are sufficiently emotionally intelligent that they learn how to disrupt they learn how to interrupt their bias and that's important because only when those biases can be recognized and then interrupted do they find themselves in a position where they are able to treat people equally well and our e and our model is about equality 
<clears throat> and that's important because there's a fine distinction to be made here, Emily, between the idea of what does it mean to, to treat somebody equally well versus what does it mean to treat people the same? Well, if our thesis is right, that diversity is different and everybody is different because everyone's unique and everyone's an individual, then we don't want same treatment. We need equal treatment. And that raises interesting conversations for us around equality and around equity. But fundamentally, can we treat everybody equally well? And anybody who's got more than one child will tell you that you equal treatment is different to same treatment. That's just how it is. So that those two first parts of our model are looking outwards. But we think that you then have to really turn the uh, turn internally really and look at yourself and then the a in the model is about authenticity and what we're saying here is that in an inclusive organization um, people feel psychologically safe enough to be authentic to be authentic themselves and to foster authenticity in others why do they are uh, why are they able to feel authentic why are they able to be that well because of our point that inclusion is this emotion, then the emotional question that's really being asked in an including organization with someone who's wanting to get involved is the question I'm really wanting to know is, can I belong here? Is it safe for me to be me? Or if I'm going to be here, do I have to be a version of you? Or do I have to be a chameleon? Or do I have to hide? Or do I have to cover? But that real core question that's saying, can I be me here? And not only can I be me, Emily, but can I let you be you? is a profoundly mm -hmm. important question, but that is at the heart of the inclusion conversation. And that mean, means when we can do that, we are then in a different relationship because now we're gonna share power with each other as to have power over each other. And that's a very different space. Uh, but that takes us to the AR, which is about respect. And the, the R is about saying, and this is crucial in, if I may say, what is the R number, to use a common phrase. But it's an important <laughs> phrase because how much do you respect yourself? What, what is that level of respect you give to yourself? Because what we see is we see that in an inclusive organization, people respect themselves for what they bring. They value their contribution. And fundamentally, they value the contribution that other people bring too. And that becomes really powerful. Um, and I think that's huge because consequently what happens then is people don't act in ways that undermine each other, but actually they, and they always give one another the benefit of the doubt. So then we would say, if you've looked out H&E and you've looked in A&R, I think that generates in us a sort of what we call an inclusion activism, which causes us to say, right, I can see no doubt there is value to be had in diversity, but you don't get the value from diversity unless you can learn to manage inclusion. And just because you're in a you know, diverse team doesn't mean you're in an inclusive one. And just because you value diversity doesn't mean you get value from it. And just because you're not being discriminated against doesn't mean you feel included. But this idea here now becomes about saying, no, no, when I'm seeking to get value from diversity, I'm going to actively seek to manage inclusion. How do I do that? I do that by making sure that everybody, everybody is hearing. Thank you. That was so eloquently described. <laughs> Thank you. In, in terms of the five different components, Paul, are they of equal weighting or does anyone sort of stand in higher stature above the others? I think that's a very interesting question. Um, 
I think this is a very personal uh, view and certainly, you know, having built the model, I, I, I have a particular view about this. And I think that the one that matters the most to me personally is authenticity, because I think authenticity is the thing that opens the whole piece up. Because, you know, the reality is that um, it was Kierkegaard that said this, that the most common form of despair is not being who you are. There's a man, a man called Howard Thurman um, uh, who said this, Emily. He said that um, each and every one of us longs to hear the sound of the genuine, the authentic inside of us. He said, when you hear it, you just know it and you recognize it, you become alive to it. He said, but until you hear it, you're like somebody who was on the end of strings that other people are pulling. And I think the problem of authenticity is that twofold in our client conversations one is that many of our clients are on the end of strings that other people are pulling but the other is they're pulling strings that other people are on the end of and though every time you pull those strings about how i should behave and what i should look like and what i could do and ought to do then you're taking away my ability to bring my authentic self to work and i think that the it can take a lifetime and i do mean a lifetime before we stop fighting with ourselves um, to know who we are and relinquish the desire to be who we're not. So for me, the whole conversation about authenticity is really the prime conversation because I think once I've settled that down, then I, I, I just, I don't know, I think a lot of interesting things happen when I, when, I've, when I reckon that because I can suddenly, I don't know, I can just be more integral. I can literally function at a much more intelligent level and because i'm authentic about who i am and i'm committed to you being authentic about who you are then that means when i start thinking about difference and bias and stereotypes and all the rest of that stuff that we will have to deal with it's i'm starting from a better base mm. and when you've seen organizations focus in on authenticity mm. well and do it successfully how do they do that? Is it from the top down in terms of the leadership team? Is it from the bottom up? Yeah, it's another great question. So I think the thing about inclusion that's interesting is it has to literally be steered from the top. So I think when you see organizations that do this really well, that the leaders are prepared to set the tone. They're absolutely open to the idea of recognizing that they manage the meaning that they bring the weather and so they'll have those honest conversations with themselves we've got a very interesting model that we use in in our c-suites but it's steered from the top it has to then be fueled from the middle but then it has to be driven from the grassroots so all those three things have to come together at the same time but certainly where we see it um work the best is when the top of the house models the behavior. Because unless the top of the house are really prepared to model the behavior, that is not gonna be patterned all the way through the organization. And whether you like it or not, the key point about leadership is that leaders manage meaning. So if leaders are going to lead in an authentic way, then there's a much better chance that people, well, actually it's a bit more fundamental than that, that when leaders lead in an authentic way, you discover something amazing, which is that leadership is not about creating followers. Leadership is about creating other leaders. And the truth is that really authentic leaders, they don't create dependency, they create capacity because they give room for other people to be who they are. Mm, that's a really powerful comment. And I wanted to dig into the equality um, component of the model just a little bit more. Mm. Um, I feel at the moment the whole equality discussion and agenda um, has been shifted with the Black Lives Matter movement um, really rising again last year. But I also found something interesting in what you were saying earlier about equal treatment is not the same treatment and how 
personally, I think this is an area that, you know, myself and probably leaders and organizations that I've worked with in the past have often struggled with. Like, how do you really get the equality piece right? How do you know whether you should be treating somebody the same or differently? And if you're not treating them the same, like you're saying, it needs to be equally well. How do you define that? How do you really understand what is equally well for people from diverse backgrounds um, and different segments? I've, I've said a lot there, but I wonder if you could just unpack this a little bit more and share some thoughts on it. Yeah, it's a great question. I think perhaps the issue for me is in the here's model, A is the most important, but E is the most complicated. So I think this one, how you actually treat people equally well is very complex. So <clears throat> I think the first thing you have to accept, Emily, is you have to understand um, and you have to be prepared to educate yourself, particularly if you're the person or people in the in power. You have to be prepared to educate yourself of what it means to not be like you. And I think that's mm-hmm. quite complicated for people because people that are not like you, people that are like me, I'm a biracial person, people that are like me, we, we have invisible headwinds that we have to deal with. And by definition, they're invisible. You don't know what they are. But if we were to just take the, the race conversation, for example, um, the fact of the matter is that there is a structural inequality. The system is structurally, uh, the game's rigged, basically. Let me be candid enough to say that to you. Um, so, for example, it, it's an established fact that black employees are less likely to be promoted to senior managers or SBPs than their white counterparts. It's a fact that black and Asian people are less li- more likely to experience microaggressions. It's a fact that they are more likely to have their uh, expertise questioned. It's a fact that we are more likely to be mistaken for someone at a lower level in an organization. And I could go on and on and on. These are established inequalities. But unless, mm-hmm. unless, you are, unless you're aware of them, you can live in kind of blissful ignorance of them. So if I'm going to be really do a good job on this idea of actually beginning to understand um, what is going on for people, then I've got to be prepared to make a real commitment to knowing my people and knowing my people and not just knowing the people that work for me, knowing the experiences they have it, understanding how they experience us. Um, We do some quite interesting work around um, measuring organizations in terms of just that we use a lot of data, obviously, and we're interested in saying, how do you make the distinction between what people say and how they really feel? And two of the areas that this works particularly powerfully in this question is, um, is the culture that you think you have the one you've actually got? So oftentimes we think we've got a culture that's all, you know, very engaged and very sociable and everybody's on board. But actually the reality is sometimes it's very disconnected from that. And what we've seen in the work that we do and, and, and to help people with this, is we get very forensic about it. So we get into the detail and we measure particular aspects of inclusion or particular aspects of equal treatment. And we can then be able to say to you, this group in this category in this particular part of your organization feel this but this group feel that and so it means that we can begin to start to really focus in on 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 providing the equal treatment but you have to remember that equal treatment or treating people equally well is in in itself a product of the h in the model and the reason it's a product in the h in the model is because the way we treat people is based on two things one what we believe about them And two, what we're committed to do to help those people be successful. So the blunt truth, Emily, is this. 
is that if I hold a belief, whether it's a conscious or an unconscious belief about you, my belief about you is going to drive your performance, it's going to drive your my treatment of you self-evidently, because my belief informs my treatment, my treatment impacts your performance, your performance increases my belief, which in turn reinforces my assumption. So that's why the model's constructed the way it's constructed, because we've got to first deconstruct and help you understand why you believe what you believe about certain people, what is going on for you in there. And then once I thought we've unpacked that, because we're all walking around, aren't we, with a you know confirmation bias, affinity bias, attribution bias, beauty bias, halos and horns. I mean, you go, I could go on and on. <laughs> but, but the point is, am I prepared to ask myself what I'm believing about this particular person that's causing me to treat this particular person less well than that person? What am I believing about them? Uh, this is way outside the scope of our time, unfortunately, but this is a massive, massive issue. So I, I say that authenticity is the, the key, but this one is the most complicated. Yeah, and look, you've you've helped me to understand. appreciate we've not got enough time to really dig into it, but there is more of a science behind this and actually digging into For the sure. data and, and starting to segment your workforce and really ask the right questions and then look at, how people are responding and and that piece around really genuinely listening again and Huge trying to consciously one. catch your bias in order to understand the E. I can see how they're beginning to become very interrelated, as you were saying. Yeah, and it's and I think just quickly, if I may, the the real problem is that the data we're relying upon is typically very untrustworthy data because we're relying on explicit reporting. Now the problem is this: it's only worth me asking you a question, a if you know the answer. And B, if you're prepared to tell me the truth. But of course, the whole notion of, of, of inclusion is about, <laughs> do I feel psychologically safe enough to be who I am? And part of being who I am is telling you my truth. But if I don't feel psychologically safe, then my reporting to you is going to be conditioned. It's going to be uh, moderated. And unfortunately, we're building on moderated information. And we're wondering why we've done the di- diagnostic. we put the fix in but nothing's changed well there's nothing's changed because the diagnosis isn't correct mm. very true Paul at the incense at the center for inclusive leadership I know you've been working with a range of organizations governments corporations communities all over the world are there any that you're able to name or share a little bit more info on now just who have been on this journey and have successfully implemented his and are now reaping the benefits of that truly inclusive culture? Do you know, I, I mean, I, in a way, I'm going to kind of pick favourite clients. So there's a lot, there's a num- there's lots of them. But I think the ones that I've really been excited about most recently, um, I would say um, the London Stock Exchange Group have been extraordinary in terms of the way they've really begun to embrace this agenda. And I have to say from the top down, um, Bloomberg is another of our big clients who, absolutely have gripped this and i'm really excited with with one of our newer clients um the bbc bbc studios who really see this as a key model to to to, to embed and i think what we know is we know that when we work across our, our sectors and you know we're i mean i could name a lot more but i think people when they begin to understand when they see this idea it just catches because it just makes sense to them um but certainly i'll probably get told off for clients that i've missed but those three would be three immediate ones that you go here are you know world leaders in what they do and here are people that are serious about inclusion here are people that are giving their organization their people the tools to do the job Mm. 
Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Um, and as we're sort of wrapping up our discussion today, which I'm sad about because there's so <laughs> much more I'd love to love to um, you know, get you to share with us and and talk through. But in terms of our global community listening, is there one piece of advice or call to action that you could ask or share that would help them go back to their organizations to really start to think about fostering inclusivity? Um I, I, I think that I think the thing is I, I think it's about ask about honestly recognizing. Uh, yeah, let's say it this way. I think it. And my plea to you would to be to say that I would love you to recognize that inclusion is core to the human condition. Why is it so? Because each and every one of us has this desire to belong. Each and every one of us has a desire to be vital, to be approved of, to be essential, to be accepted. And the amount of energy and care that many of us pour into our workplaces merits, absolutely demands perhaps, that we are put in environments where we can be at the heart of our organizations and have the organizations in our hearts rather than push to the fringe because people want to belong and organizations have an absolute amazing opportunity to create belonging in a world that is very fractured and very isolated right now mm. thank you wise words i really appreciate you joining my podcast and thank you so much for sharing your insights around the here's model you're very welcome thank you for having me on the on the show thank you for listening to this episode if you would like to share any thoughts or comments you can get in touch with our host emily ramji at er at elliotsguyhr.com Elliot Sky HR is an award-winning specialist in HR recruitment. We serve the HR community globally and have placed HR leaders in over 30 countries. There are over 90,000 members in the Elliot Sky HR community. Please join us via our website, elliotskyhr.com, or our LinkedIn page. Take a look at the other episodes in our podcast series, your blog, and check out our upcoming events hosted in our five global locations.